Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. Hello, I'm Joe Caprani, and I'm your host for this episode of Songs in the Wilderness. In this series, we listen to the songs that have influenced our guests throughout their lives and have influenced their faith as well. Today, I have the privilege of talking to Richard Jeffrey Gray, head of the music service for the Diocese of Clifton. Thank you for joining us on the programme today, Richard. Tell us where you are today and what your work in the Clifton Diocese involves. Well, it's great to be here, Joe. Um, at the moment, I'm sitting in my studio in sunny Clifton in Bristol, uh, about 100 yards from the cathedral, surrounded by antique ironmongery and uh, lots of speakers and things, as uh, as you are. And <laughs> and really, the what we do in the music service is to attempt to resource anybody who asks, so the parishes, individuals, on things such as relationships with clergy uh, is a principal thing, organs, instruments, sound systems, the um, type of music they uh, would like to do or should be doing and helping them uh, do that. And uh, and all, all aspects really of music, whatever comes along really. So Richard, I believe you, um, you hail from Birmingham. Tell us something of your memories of your early days there. Yeah, we do. It's, it's actually one of the largest, if not the largest diocese in the country. Um, uh, but it's it's sort of uh, so it's difficult to cover. So there's sort of hubs and deaneries and the and specialists, if you like, in every every uh, part. Every um, the priest once said to me, he said uh, every parish has its own pope, and it's the same same with music to a certain extent that you find there are pockets of absolute excellence we have nothing to do with. Right. <laughs> and um, and of course, I've resourced the cathedral as well. We we um, run the cathedral as a hopefully a centre of excellence in the diocese, or attempt to. Um, and so we, we get through quite a lot of uh, music and uh, liturgy, and and we do run workshops particularly. We run the festival, which has workshops and talks in it as well, uh-huh. on uh, certain aspects of music. Yeah. And and where would you uh, draw the musical resources from? Obviously, you, you know, obviously there's a large canon of, of, of traditional music and plain chant, etc. But obviously, there's there's modern composition as well. Be that uh, classical, in, you know, traditional stroke classical in style or contemporary music. Where would you where would you draw those from? Yeah, well, we follow, if you like, the guidelines as I've heard on Radio Maria. In fact, where the a lot of the music is. Um, inspired and guided by the church, and mm-hmm. it's and it's, and it's uh, if you, people like to call them requirements, um, yes, you can call them requests Guide, or you can call them commands, yes. <laughs> um, and and we um, 
so we we we'd look at GIA and um, the big pub, the American publishers OCP, and so forth, and we look at um, Decani or Decani, yes, uh, in this country, and um, and uh, expedite the resources, literary lists, and so forth there to help people uh, to greater understanding, right, of what they're doing, why they should do it, uh, what the church's view is, and it's not just you know. That if you like modern popular music doesn't just have to be me, my God, and I. It's about no, no, us no. and um, and our faith. Yeah. Yes, of course. So I believe you um, you hail from Birmingham. Tell us tell us some of your memories of your early oh, days. There. Oh well, I come from Birmingham, and, uh, <laughs> but I spoke like that for some reason. And um, although I, I love it very much, uh, I think earliest my mother taught at the Christadelphian Church, which was um, two two uh, doors away from us and I would be found before the age of five up a stepladder with a claw hammer pre preaching to the apple tree <laughs> which is, you know so sort of very uh, I didn't think of it much as a garden of Eden but um, it didn't I never had any theological arguments with it uh, um, but uh, its responses still... were a bit wooden I take it well, that's right oh well done <laughs> another branch of the church the, it, um, I gave you the pip anyway <laughs> enough of that um, uh, but but when I was about five we moved to the uh, black country which is distinct from Birmingham as any black country person will know uh, to Starbridge and, okay. um, and it really um, uh, there I, is where I started my grandmother played play the piano is my earliest memory sentimental victorian ballads speak to me thora speak from your grave to me so, and, so did she actually start to teach you piano or or is that that's just your no, first sort of well, musical she, memory she played in the it's just a memory really because she played in the theater um oh, okay. in birmingham with we think with uh, tony hancock's father as uh, doing an act with a silver cane right and um and so forth so there's a bit of history there but the um there was no indication uh that i was had any sort of apart from humming in my pram there was any <laughs> any musical um uh, musical thing in me at all until i was about 11 or 12 and uh, it was incredibly late but i went to the church in anglican church in starbridge yes uh, uh a fellow called Jack said, "Do you want to join the choir?" And I said, "Well, I suppose so." <laughs> and I went went along. He left a couple of weeks afterwards. Typical. And um, <laughs> great. And uh, and uh, I did. And I just found that all of the notes made sense. Everything right. on the page, you know, when it went up, it, you know, the voice went up, and yes. you know, the the black notes were shorter than the than the ones which were uh, hollowed out. You yes. know, things like that. And um, I just found I could I could really just do it uh so I had a few piano lessons after that I got grade four piano you know wow. and uh, uh yeah and that was that was I think that's my last qualification on piano <laughs> and well, um, I'm a late comer to the piano I've been learning for a couple of years but I'm, you still, really? I'm, still, I'm still not let, fit to be let loose in public I don't think oh well some people say say that say that about me but the uh, it's the <laughs> are you wearing boxing gloves <laughs> The, but no, I did, I did all right anyway. But the um, it's uh, so it, it was really just um, a natural thing, which infuriates some people, infuriates some people at university. But um, I, I could unfortunately just I could just see it and just do it. So um, natural, 
So just, yeah, uh, I, I was playing the piano in the church one day and the organist said, do you want to try that on the organ and, you know, move your feet along? And when you see a G, put down the, a G, you know, on the, on the pedals. Yes, on the pedals, yeah. Where, where to start. And um, so I taught myself really, which isn't ideal because you miss out on a lot of the um, technique. Right. And so certain things which I'll never, I was never able to play and never be able to play because of that, I think. Um, as if I'd been through the hoops and done my scales and the rest of it, then I would have been it's never different. It's though. No. no, well, you know, it's uh, I did get a serious bout of RSI, in fact. Oh, the, no. Again, that's probably 40 techniques, so I, I right. forget what the keyboard playing, really. But more what suited me was hearing music and writing it down, and that really, um, uh, really is what... Um, well, I, th I think I'm best at so um, transcription of of uh, well, no, composition really. Right. Um, so I'm, you know, I I could hear it and then I could write it down, and other people could play it, <laughs> you know, um, better than I could. So, so you, your tra training as a composer was where? Uh, I went to the University of Bristol, and then to uh, did a bit at the Royal College uh, of Music, and. Again, it's um, you can't just rely on a natural um, flair. Yeah, flair. Uh, you have to have a, a great amount of craft with it. Um, in those days, at A level, we write Bach chorales. We'd emulate um, the style of Bach and, and so forth, and we'd um, we'd have rules which you would stick to, and people say this is irrelevant to everything. Uh, but in fact, it gives you a secure grounding in harmony and the way that voices work and the way that tunes work and the way that pe people are able to sing together, really. Yes. And, I, and I guess to some yeah. extent the value of learning the rules is learning how to break them in a, in a coherent fashion, as it were. That's right. Yes, you're absolutely right there. It's, it's uh, you know, um, there's a big sin called consecutive fifths in Bach chorales. And if you listen to... Um, uh, uh, Carl Jenkins, or you listen to Vaughan Williams, or you listen to any of these people, or listen to Plain Song in Organum. Yes. That's all consecutive fifths and octaves. It's absolutely not. You know, it's a it's a thing which you you know when it's right, um, and you can bring it into your style of composition if it fits what yes. you need need to say. You yes. know, that's good. So coming to your first choice of music, tell us tell us what you've chosen and why. Well, this is um, My God, My God, Why Have You Forsaken Me, which may sound a little bit miserable, but in fact it's at an important time of the church's year, uh, Palm Sunday, and the first time I walked into Clifton Cathedral, I heard this man singing this psalm, and I thought, what's all this about?
Let him release him if this is his friend. My God, my God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Wicked men are sold to me. That was a setting of uh, My God, My God by Christopher Walker from his 1990 album Out of Darkness. So, Richard, your next step on your musical journey was into recording and music production at the BBC. How did that come about? Well, I, I always wanted to join the BBC and I was lucky enough to start training in production. But what actually happened was I found out I could cut tape in those days with razor blades right. and um, and so forth. And I was fairly quick at it because I've been really recording since I was, I started recording when I was six with my brother's equipment. Um, my brother was distinguished, he's, he's distinguished in the black country as running a disco. Uh -huh. And in fact, his, his first excursion was in Birmingham at the church where instead of the bells, he played the Beatles one Sunday <laughs> into the community, which um, rather surprised everybody. Um, so I was recording before uh, I thought of music. Um, and so I was cutting tapes with, you know, bits of sellotape and seeing how it all worked. And uh, so, so I went there for a fairly short time, really, uh, because I was going to get stuck as a studio manager rather than a producer. Right. Um, and 
I was in the lift one day, I was a little bit wild probably, uh, broadcasting house, and I thought they're all wearing brown cardigans and looking at the shoes, and the extrovert ones looked at your shoes. And I thought, I'm not, you know, I'm not cut out for this. I just didn't didn't fit in really. <laughs> so and so I came to came back to Bristol and started working, in fact, with at the cathedral, but also with a sound system company. We did a lot of club sound systems. Okay. Uh, uh, the, so, the, so you're talking about yeah. setting up the hardware and, and, and configuring yeah, it? Yeah, you and won a few awards with it. And I, did, I did the acoustics part because I did a bit of acoustics as part of one of the degrees. Right. And uh, we, we, you know, found, found out how sound worked in different spaces. Um, we'd have the trouser press test where the bass bins should make your trousers um, uh, put a line into, the, <laughs> into them as they flapped around, you know. And collections of egg boxes. Well, yes, more or less. But it's uh, <laughs> so you know. I, I before I did the Glastonbury pilgrimage, I did the festival. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, so it was, I never told songs of praise what I did at the festival, and the festival I never told the festival what I did at songs of praise. <laughs> at the, at Two the time. words which will never meet. <laughs> they they didn't then. They might now, but because uh, uh, there's a I think there's a uh, couple of tents there, isn't there, at Glastonbury? If um, they have mass in one of the tents. Right. Oh, okay. So they might. They, I think they mean now. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, of course it's in our diocese. So uh, yes, yes, we have a lot of you know crystal gazers and um, people who go to the church in Glastonbury. So, so it's you know nice. So do you reckon there are many trained musicians or composers that then move into the more technical side of things, or, or are you booking the trend in that? No, I think that um, in those days I was writing. Uh, so say electronic music, and I found it was actually too easy to fool people. And I went back to tunes. Uh, so to write electronic music, you have to have a, a technical background in a sense to use the things that lead you to write it. Um, uh, and a lot of composers now are having to be technical because if you're yes. syncing to film or uh, any sort of, um, it's more or less self-production. Uh, there aren't the budgets with record companies of a medium size to uh, produce your album. It's mostly a lot of it's self-production, and mm. um, and so you have I to guess, have that. I guess even submitting a, a, a say, for example, a composition to a publisher, they would they they would probably laugh at you now if you if you sent them a handwritten manuscript. Well, yes, unless unless you were exceptional, uh, there's a lot of people who still write by hand because. Right. Um, and uh, the reason is because if you use a notation program, then the music comes across the screen in a linear fashion, if you like, left to right. Yes. Uh, and if you're doing an orchestration, I want to write the woodwind at the top of the score, and then I want to write the timps in the middle. I want to write the strings at the bottom of the choir. You know, I can dot around that page if it's A3 with a mm. pencil or mm -hmm. a pen. And I can go around that. It's a much more sort of wholesome. You can see the whole thing, if you see what I mean. Yes. Uh, it's a bit like if you're mixing um, uh, on, a, on a mixer and you have an analog mixer, you reach for the EQ and it's there and you reach for the you know various bits you need to get to to make the thing work. Mm. And the early digital mixers had pages and pages of screens yes. where you'd be dotting around this little screen, trying to find the bit. Meanwhile, the audience were... Um, 
uh, harangued by feedback while he dotted through pages trying to find which <laughs> bit was, you know, whereas analog, you can go straight to it. Yes. And in a sense, the music notation is the same. You're going left to right. That influences the way you write, mm. I think, rather than a, a sort of more holistic, so we do, uh, I can put this moment here. And I can go back to that bit, and then I can, you know, do this bit. And it's, yes. it's a you know much more sort of imaginative way of doing it. Because I think I heard somewhere recently about you know Western music software, which is obviously where most of it emanates from, sort of mm. driving out the sort of uh, strange, the well not strange, but just different scales and, and systems that they have in places like yeah. North Africa and in, and in the Far East and that. Is... Well, yes, it's it's. it's um... It's, it's interesting, it's, it's very much like when recording started and people got used to an orchestral sound because you used to have French and German bassoons and each orchestra had its national sound. Um, yes. you, could, you could tell a French orchestra from a German one right. and it all, all became the Hollywood. Homogenous. <laughs> yeah, the Hollywood mm -hmm. American sort of lush string sound. Yes. And... Um, is that a good or a bad thing? I mean, a lot of things sound out of tune and odd to us now that were then. Uh, I love a good uh, dissonance. Oh, do you? Oh, right. Oh, well. Yeah, so, you might be talking the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're coming to your second piece of music that you've chosen. Tell us about it, please. Well, certainly when I went to Clifton and I heard that uh, Walker singing that track, uh, I didn't really know what to expect. That was in 1987, mm -hmm. and I was it opened up to me a world of that I hadn't experienced in the Church of England. Um, yes. Unsurprisingly, uh, uh, the level I was at there um, of psalmody, of plain song, of um, the use of the liturgy, if you see what I mean, the reasoning behind the pieces we did, why we sang them. And Durafle's Requiem is based on plain song. Um, people will recognise yeah. the plain song on his day in various forms here, conducted by Michel Legrand, who uh, wrote The Windmills of Your Mind. And it's a very, very, it's an unusual recording. Everybody sings a plain song. It's not precious. It's not... Um, regimented it's, it sounds absolutely natural to me
That was the Annus Day from Maurice de Rufflet's Requiem, performed by the Ambrosian Singers and the Philharmonia Orchestra, conducted by Michel Legrand. Our music choices this morning have been chosen by my guest, Richard Jeffrey Gray, head of the music service for the Diocese of Clifton. Besides your work for the Clifton Diocese, you're also very involved in the Clifton International Festival of Music. Tell us something about the festival and, and your role in it. Well, we started 10 years ago. It was the 40th anniversary of the cathedral. And I thought, um, shall I put on a concert? Probably should. And uh, a friend of mine called Tom Williams said, said, you told her to put on a concert. You want to put on lots of concerts, he said, <laughs> and started us on this journey. See, it's, it's the usual thing of, um, uh, well, I say usual, but the bravado of pub talk. And you say, you say, yes, we could do this. But let's get the telescopes. Shall we? Yes, shall we do this? And it started there. And we thought, and the first year we did uh, not just, it was absolute madness in retrospect. We did the we did 24 hours of the office, all sung. So I was unlocking the cathedral at 3 a.m. And one man came, you know, wow. and we sang the um, so 24 hours of the office. And uh, we... What else did we do? Uh, workshops, of course, and um, some talks about uh, one about liturgical music. But it wasn't just; it isn't just that. It's, it's still a music festival that you know people come to, and the, the, it's not a religious musical festival or a choral musical festival. And now we're ten years in, and it's the fiftieth anniversary of the cathedral, right. and we're doing a bit of a greatest hits in a way that we're bringing back people who we had before who since um since like when the cathedral was built the people there who made the cathedral um the artists were starting out and they were young yes. but they were good and one of them who made the stations of the cross now is the most listed person for public works of art in the country so you can forget banksy uh, he has the most listed works of art in the country. Uh, and there's his Stations of the Cross and other parts of the cathedral. The man who carved the font is now um, the uh, headstone mason at St. John the Divine, New York, and did the 9-11 memorial. Right. Uh, but when the cathedral was built, they were cheap. Now, the same with these musicians 10 years ago. They were young and they were cheap. Now, <laughs> now they're very, very good, very evident and expensive. But they, they're coming back to um, to help us out next week, actually, at the festival. Right. And uh, we've, we've been through a lot of um, wonderful uh, experiences with it. We've learned a lot as well. Um, you know, people say, people say, how do you get the Talis scholars to come? How do you get the 16 to come? Yes. And you pay them, they'll come. <laughs> you know. Well, indeed, indeed. Uh, they had um, Daniel O'Donnell at Redfield because they paid him and he came. Yeah. Yeah, he's a friend of the parish priest there. So, you you know, it's, it's not, it is difficult to do to string together a week or two weeks of um, events. Uh, but it's, it's wonderful. You, get, you do get a festival feel from it now. You get people who say, oh, that's, that's a Clifton Festival. That's going to be good. That, and that, does, does it also feel at this stage as if it has its own momentum uh, so that, it, you know, you, you're fairly assured that it will keep going? Or is, does it still feel like it's something that you really still have to work out to, to yeah. make happen every year? Well, a, the thing is, it relies on a team of four volunteers, effectively, and we lost right. one, one of them about two weeks ago. Um, 
to cancer. So it's a little bit raw at the moment, yes. but uh, we're uh, going through this year and see how we do. And because it hit, you, hit you like it like it hit everybody. Yeah, it yeah, hit yeah. us like a train. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, so we're just recalibrating after that, and yes. we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, uh, we'll we've got uh, some things maybe planned in the autumn and so forth. So, um, do you, do you, so you know, as, as an annual festival, does it have uh, a, set, a set period when it takes place, like the second week of June? Or, or... Yeah, that's right. Yes, it's it's around the. Um, it's not always possible to do it around the uh, St Peter and Paul, which is the cathedral dedication, twenty oh, okay. ninth of June. But we do it around that date. It's not always possible to do it on the date because you have a lot of uh, commitments, term times, and you know people not available and so forth. Uh, so we always do it around the around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also means you can you can um, yeah again the festival feel you can go outside and have a drink uh, and so forth and you can you know it's, it's likely to be sunny. So we, lovely right time of year for it. Yes, lucky yeah. with that. Yeah. And your and your musical involvements go beyond the liturgical. There's some theatre involvement as well. <laughs> yes, I sort of had a middle career, which I was conducting <laughs> shows, and um, and I got through a lot of them. I, I seem to specialise in Sondheim, and um, and I did uh, Oliver in America and so forth, and and lots of that. So again, uh, the composition style sort of involves some of that. Yes. As well as the um, as the if you like serious liturgical style, bit of a chameleon. And the selfish and, giant. The uh, selfish giant. Now that yes, that's an um, that's a tune which you 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 may hear fourth in this um, in this program, uh, which I adapted to another text. Mm-hmm. But that um, that's a children's opera where anybody who could play one note on a violin or a clarinet could be involved when when the great storm happens. And they go through the winter season, and the gardens in winter. Uh, so that was that was good. Uh, and you know, I've had it's it's just uh, again full of hopefully full of tunes and full of things that are accessible to people, um, and that that bring the children on and involve everybody. They could if they could paint the set, they could. It was a workshop weekend. It started out as right. uh, where they you know you could make the whole thing work by Sunday night. Right. Lovely. And uh, and uh, it, was, it was absolutely great. And, it, and it's done done now and again. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. So we're coming to your third piece of music. Tell us about this piece. Uh, now, this is uh, there's an organ recital next Wednesday night, I think it is. It might be Thursday, uh, by James Goff. Uh, if you go to cliftonfestival.com, you can see. Mm-hmm. And we've made this recording for the 50th of the cathedral. Uh, it's Bach. Uh, Bach's a marvellous, as you know, composer. Mm. Uh, and you can paint on Bach whatever your mood is, really. You can say, I'm joyful, that piece sounds happy, and play the same piece and think, I'm a bit sad, that piece sounds sad. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a very... Um, it morphs to, to your mood. Yeah, I think so, yes. But these these are ideal for the organ, an Austrian organ, uh, which um, which has, has um, chuffs along beautifully and is absolutely marvellous. Thank you. 
that was the first movement of J.S. Bach's Trio Sonata Number no. 6 in G major. Richard, there's yet another string to your musical bow. <laughs> Hoxa Media Company. Tell us how uh, you started the company and what its purpose is. Well, we started in 1995 and I got a few commissions to write theme tunes and music for TV. Oh, okay. And one of which was a... Um, cooking program, early cooking program with Rick Stein and another one of which was called Sacred Landscapes and so forth and I was doing a lot of arrangements for Songs of Praise and so forth and so I formed the company really to harness that together, both the music creation side mm -hmm. and uh, post-production sound uh, for uh, film and TV and the uh, side where I'm going out recording on location, which are all the things which I like to do. Um, and I've been lucky enough to be asked to do. And uh, oh, uh, some of it not under my own name. But we have done 130-odd <laughs> films in the past three years, but it sounds impressive. In fact, some of them, of course, are animations. So they're only a couple of minutes right. long. You know, mm -hmm. but you've got to supervise them. It all them counts, all. and it's all yeah. work. Yeah, that's right. And so, so I was able to sort of harness the musical side and the technical side um, with with that company, with the overarching um, company. It's called Hoxer, actually, because uh, my wife Sarah, her maiden name Sarah Gray, and she hails her family hails from Orkney, right? Where uh, Hoxer Head in Orkney, and uh, they. Uh, have a local place in Hoxhead called they call Grey Bay. Uh, most of the family's gone from there now. Hoxhead was such a distinctive name. Um, that's that's what I called it. Although it's no relation to the Albanian dictator Hoxhead, <laughs> who has an extra H in it. And I had the postman come up and say, "Oh, brilliant name that is. Brilliant." I think it was an edgy sort of, you know, punk sort of company. And I, I said, "No, not not in my Birmingham accent." I said, "No, not really. No, that's not it at all. Not it at all." So we're going to come to your final piece of music. I'm keen to to let us get the the, the full piece in. Tell us about it. And that's great. Well, this. Well, I wrote this piece, and the reason I put it on is actually because of the voices on it. It's 20 years between the two halves of this recording. And one is a boy who sang it at the Easter Vigil 20-odd years ago. And then you've got Christopher Walker singing the second half with oh. a choir and so forth um, at Bishop Murphy's funeral, the former Bishop of Clifton. And Chris was really upset because it was his bishop, so he mucked up the first half of it. Oh, and the boy, when he sang it 20 years ago, mucked up the second half of it. <laughs> so I thought, I'll put them together. So you end up with a Hollywood-like middle to it. You got your razor blade out. I did indeed, <laughs> and uh, there it is.
been listening to I Know That My Redeemer Lives, composed by my guest today, Richard Jeffrey Gray. Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story and song choices with us today. And we look forward to hearing where your musical journey takes you next. Well, thanks, Joe. It's an absolute pleasure to be my first time on Radio Maria, and good luck to you all. First of many, I hope. Well, you never know. Just ask. Thank you. And thank you, too, to you, our listeners, for joining us today for Songs in the Wilderness. This broadcast will be repeated later in the week. Just go to radiomariaengland.uk and click the schedule link and you'll find further details there. Previous episodes are also available as podcasts on all the usual platforms such as Spotify, Apple and others. Until the next time. This was a Radio Maria podcast. If you enjoyed it, do please click like and subscribe on your podcast provider or leave us a review. Every bit of feedback helps increase our visibility and allows us to reach more people with the message of Christ's saving truth. And if you don't already, you can listen to Radio Maria live either online or on DAB in selected regions of the UK. We'd love for you to call in live and be part of the conversation. See our website, radiomariaengland.uk, for more details and a full schedule of programmes. And do please consider making a donation so that we can keep making more programmes like this. We are completely dependent upon the generosity of our listeners.